0: Matthew wrote the gospel of Matthew to Jews because he understood that they believed that a king was coming who was going to reestablish the the Davidic kingdom as it should be and boot the Romans out and everything's going to be a a God-fearing country again. And they were looking for the king and Matthew wrote his gospel to say Jesus is the king that you're looking for. So we're in this series, Kingdom Concepts, we're looking at the gospel of Matthew and we're looking at stories where Jesus says the kingdom is like, and he gives us a word picture, a a parable, if you will, of what it's like in the kingdom down here on this earth. So there's a spiritual message behind uh, the surface message. So uh, we're going to read this starting in verse 21 here. Follow follow along with me and then. Uh, I've got some concepts to point out. Verse 21. Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king. Here we're getting this concept the kingdom of heaven on earth is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. At this the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him 500, or excuse me, 800 silver coins. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell on his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I will pay it back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged this is how my Heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother and sister from your heart. Whoa! That's a pretty tough message. It's pretty visual. I mean we can all get pretty well understand what's, what he's talking about here, but he's not talking about losing your house. He's talking about your whole life here. And not just your life, it's your wife, it's your children, it's everything you have. The stakes are really high. There's two concepts we learn from our story here. The first is we all need to be forgiven. Right? And the second is we all need to forgive. And it's crucial that we forgive because if we don't we won't be forgiven. That's the key message here. So, this, uh, in, in a nutshell, this idea of I forgive others their offenses against me because my Father has forgiven my offenses against him, that whole idea is called grace. And so, we're titling this, this part of uh, our study of kingdom concepts, the grace in the kingdom that the kingdom of God here on this earth should be one of grace. And we should be looking to one another with an attitude of grace. Not justice. God is a just God. Oh, don't, 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 be mis- don't get confused here. God's a just God. He demands justice. And if you've blown it, either you have to pay for that or you got to find a substitute. And I'll tell you what, I'm not going to pay for your offense. i got my own to pay for. We both need somebody who's going to pay our debt for us. Yes. So i got six things to share about grace in the kingdom and what it should be looking like today to help us get our minds around. Here's the first thing. The story teaches that grace is without limits. Peter came to him, heard he knew what Jesus taught about forgiving someone who's offended you. And he came and he said, how many times? Peter's always looking for the loophole. He's kind of like me. I always wants to find a way around the rules. So he says, how many times do I need to forgive? Seven times? I mean that seven times is way too many. He's just going to keep right on doing it. And Jesus said, I tell you not seven times, but 70 times seven. Or 70 plus seven depending on the version You're reading 70 times 7 is 490 times. Who even keeps count? That's a lot of times. The point is grace is limitless. It doesn't matter if you sinned against God one time, five times, 20 times, 490 times, or 4,900 times. It doesn't matter. Grace is always extended. Oh, that's good news for me. But it creates a challenge before me because some people keep right on sinning against me. Some people keep right on giving me a hard time. I'm supposed to keep forgiving them over and over and over again. I think you're like me. If somebody steals five dollars out of your pocket. I think you say to yourself, five bucks isn't a lot of money, but it was my money. And the next time that guy comes around, I'm putting my hands in my pockets. He's not going to pick my pockets. I'm going to put a little defense up there. And I think that's appropriate. Withholding forgiveness, withholding grace is when I want to get even. You took five bucks from me. I'm going to get five bucks from you one way or another. That's justice, right? Eye for an eye, tooth for tooth, that's God's perspective of justice. Without mercy. Without grace. Without a redeemer. But we have Jesus in our lives, right? He's forgiven us of everything. No matter how large the debt load was, He's wiped it clean. That's good news. Why do we do this? Why do we Why do we human beings on this earth take this kind of a radical perspective towards scoundrels? Why do we do that? It's because we always have hope. We Christians have divine hope within us. We have this holy optimism that says maybe this will be the time she turns around. Maybe this will be the time things change. Maybe this will be the time when there's a breakthrough. And we keep opening the door and we keep, create, we, keep that, we keep renewing the opportunity for that person. We keep being a grace giver. Grace is without limits because we always have hope. And hope doesn't fail. Amen? Number two. Here's the second thing we learned about grace in the kingdom. Grace settles accounts. In the picture that Jesus gave us, the king calls in everybody he does business with because he wants to settle accounts. You know what it means to settle an account? That means you weigh out all the credits and all the debits. You weigh everything out and you come up with a conclusion. It's a done deal. We've settled the accounts. Don't bring this up again next year. The accounts are settled. The king wanted to settle accounts. And I am so grateful that my account has been settled. It's a done deal. It's a sure thing. It has been settled. It has been closed out. If I go to the bank and I tell them I want to settle this account, I want to close this account out, I can't go back next week and expect to pull anything out of it because it's closed. It's done. And God is not going to come back to me once he's closed my account and hold me accountable for some stupid I did last year. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Notice this. This is significant. I'm going to read it again. Verse, Verse 25. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. His children are going to carry his debt in the next generation. And if they don't resolve it, their children are going to carry this debt right into the next generation. This is what we call a generational curse. It just keeps going on generation after generation. Somebody's got to say enough is enough I'm breaking this curse. I'm going to get the account settled. And the only way to settle it because the debt's way over your head, the only way to settle it is to have somebody, a redeemer step into your life and settle the account for you. And that is what Jesus did when he went to the cross. You and I had this huge debt against God, the wages of sin is death, and Jesus came and paid the death penalty. Settle the account. That is good news. It's good news to you, say amen. amen. Now if my debt unresolved passes on to my children, and on to their children, so also does grace that's passed to me, freeing me of debt, get passed on to my children and their children, and their children, generation after generation. If the generational curse is broken, it doesn't keep going on. I had to, I had to rise up at a point in my life and say, I'm not going to continue to live like this. I'm going to break this curse. My children are not going to inherit it. Grace settles accounts. So quit sitting around thinking about your regrets and the mistakes you made and the the areas where you dropped the ball and the areas where you you weren't a good mom or dad and you weren't uh, a, a good friend and you weren't a good Christian witness. Stop that. It doesn't matter what your past is. It's time to rebuild for the future. Grace settles account and your accounts in Christ have been settled. Here's the third thing we learned about grace. Grace cancels debt. It cancels it. Wipes it clean. Just erases it. Deletes it. In Job, there's an interesting story about one of the most unluckiest people you've ever read about. Job has one episode of bad luck after another. Loses his business, loses his friends, even his wife says, you got bad breath. You know what that means. Don't come near me. And then health he loses his health. He's a mis- in a miserable condition. But the Bible says he's got some friends. How may I appreciate friends in your life? Amen. These friends came and looked him up. And they said, Job, everybody knows God's a just God. Everybody knows people that have good luck have found favor with God and people that have bad luck are cursed by God. And it's obvious from all your bad luck and all these things happen, you got some sin in your life. Why don't you just confess it? Just speak it out. Be done with it. Job says, well I would be glad to if God would show me what I did wrong. I keep wanting God to show me what I did wrong and I don't understand. But then we read, so, so that's the kind of friends he's got. You know, just condemning him. But in chapter 42, verse 10, we read this and the Lord restored Job's losses when he prayed for his friends. Indeed, the Lord gave Job twice as much as he had before. You see the key for him to have everything restored that he lost. He had to forgive his friends. He had to be gracious toward his friends. He had to pray for his friends. Those people that were condemning him, he had to release them. And then God released him. This is one of the keys of the kingdom. If you really want God to show grace to you, you've got to find somebody that's offended you and show grace to them. Oh that's hard. because they don't deserve forgiveness. They don't deserve grace. But that's the whole point of grace. They don't deserve it. You didn't deserve it, but God gave it to you. Amazing grace. Here's the fourth thing about grace we learn. Grace is acquired by giving grace. If I want more grace and the Bible does say God gives more grace, if I want more grace i got to give more grace. I've got to find people that are giving me a problem and I have to do them a favor. I have to give some kind of favor into their life to do something positive. What is in your heart It's what comes spewing out when you get poked. Right? If it's pride in your heart and somebody pokes you, we immediately rise up in our pride and try to defend ourselves and make ourselves look good again. The Apostle Paul says, why do you not rather suffer the wrong? Just take it. God is God. God. Are we really submitted to Him? Are we really trusting God? If it's judgment that's on the inside of your heart, then when somebody pokes you judgment is what's going to come spewing out. But if it's grace that's deeply rooted in your heart and somebody offends you, somebody pokes you, out comes grace. Nancy Honeytree uses the illustration of a bucket. And she says, whatever is in your heart, it's like what's in the bucket. And if there's honey in the bucket and somebody kicks it, it's honey that splashes out because that's what's on the inside. But if it's acid in the bucket when it gets kicked, it's the acid that spews out. So when people kick us, that's a good evaluator for myself of what's in my heart. Do I lash out right back? Give them the same thing? Do I go for justice? Or do I keep this kind-hearted attitude like Jesus had after those people nailed Him to the cross and He looked down at at their hatred and He said, Father forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Now that's grace under pressure. And remember that we reap what we sow. The seeds that you sow do grow up in our lives. You've heard me tell this story, when I, when I came to Christ I had sowed a whole bunch of weed seeds, really bad seeds I had sown in my life. I came to Christ and my life was a mess. That's why I came to Christ, because all those seeds I had sown. But I immediately changed and tried to do the right thing and began sowing the right seeds. But all these seeds I had sowed were Growing up the weeds were becoming mature, was choking me out. Was that what, that's what put the pressure on the early days of my Christian walk was all the negative seeds I had sown were growing up. It was becoming a, uh, a jungle. But little by little those seeds all, those plants that I'd sown all had a life cycle and all began to die out. And the new seeds I planted began to rise up. My life got better. Don't give up before the new seeds have a chance to to become a harvest. Hang on to God. We reap what we sow. Here's the fifth thing we learn about grace in the kingdom. Grace is visible. People can see it. If people can't see grace, we have to wonder if it's really grace. Grace. It should move us for, to some kind of action to do something, to say something, to, to uh, carry something out in someone else's life. Grace has got to be visible. One of my favorite characters in church history is known to people like you and I as St. Patrick. This is St. Patrick's Day, by the way, if you forgot to wear your green He's an amazing character. A lot of what we've heard about St. Patrick is fable, just legend. There's really not, nothing to it. But he did write an autobiography. And in his autobiography he tells about how he came to Christ and how he came to do what he did. Did you know that Patrick wasn't even Irish? Patrick was English. He was an English boy where some Irish pirates raided his village. We don't know what happened to his parents, but we do know that according to his story, Patrick was taken as a a servant boy, a slave. And they took him back to Ireland and it was his job as a boy to, to haul this material on and off ships for merchant trade. So ships from other countries would come in and they would unload their stuff and and uh, load up stuff from Ireland and take that back ships always coming in and out of wherever he was there there in Ireland and he asked the Lord, he was under such a pressure he asked the Lord he said, Lord if you will deliver me from this situation I'll serve you the rest of my life and the Lord gave him an idea when he was loading the ship to stow away, to hide out So when the ship was full he went around behind everything, found a good hiding place and there he hid. Once the ship sailed two or three days out into the ocean he came out of hiding because he didn't have any food. He came out. It was too late to take him back so they took him to their destination which happened to be in France. When he landed in France he remembered the vow he made to God. So he decided, I've got to serve God. So he did the only thing he knew to do. He went down to a monastery and enrolled there as as a monk. They put him through his training, and he really wasn't a very good student. But he tried his best to serve God. And finally, the announcement came out We've got a wild country over here in Ireland, we need a missionary to go to Ireland and take the good news of Jesus Christ. Who would like to volunteer to go to Ireland? Guess who was the only volunteer? Patrick. The man who had every reason to hate those people. But he took the good news back to them and made that his home for the rest of his days and the rest is history or legend, one of the two. But it's That's a living example of visible grace. Why would he want to go back into that mess? Because he believed that God was with him and that God had a good news message for him to give to those scoundrels. So he went to the scoundrels. That's grace. You know some scoundrels in your life? It would be a visible act of grace for you to step into their life and do something positive. If you do something positive to people that would hurt you if they had a chance, you mess with their head. They don't know how to deal with that. People in America don't fight that way. You fight to hurt uh, your opponent. You don't fight to help them. Grace is a key to the kingdom. Abraham found favor with God and nobody knows why. Abraham was in this family of idol worshipers and God told him to leave his family, leave his homeland, leave his past. He was going to take him to a land he was going to show him and that became the promised land, the Abrahamic covenant. But there's not a hint anywhere as to why Abraham was chosen. It was grace. And there may not be a hint anywhere of why God might want to choose you. But it's grace. Has nothing to do with you, has everything to do with God. Yes. God's looking for a willing vessel, not a perfect one. Yes. The only perfect one went back to heaven. Yes. All right, one more. Number six. Grace can be canceled. Remember the story? The guy was condemned. And then because of grace the king forgave him. And then because he wouldn't give grace he was called back to the king. All the people complained, in other words grace has to be visible just as debt is visible. The people complained to the king and the king took action. But that grace can be cancelled again. It's in their story. Finally the king canceled his debt, putting him back in prison to pay his own debt because he wouldn't pass it on. You and I are called to be conduits. Yes. We're called to be channels of blessing. And God pours his grace into us who don't deserve it so that we can pour out grace to others who don't deserve it. The reason people take advantage of other people and we don't trust them, the reason people take advantage of others is because they don't trust God. If we could trust God and know that God is watching this unfairness, that God is watching how we treat other people, that God is watching how other people treat us, if we understand that, we can always be grace conscious always be trying to be the good guy in all situations, the peacemaker. If we have faith in God, we know that God sees what we do in secret. He sees what we do and nobody else sees. He sees that $20 bill we put in somebody's hand just because we want to be grace givers. God sees that. Nobody else sees it. Some uh, Some years ago, before the housing market went down, when everybody was building houses, my wife and I built a home, and uh, we had had it all finished you know when it's, when it's finished and it gets the inspection and gets the approval, and all the documents are signed it's your home It wasn't three months after we closed everything that we had a problem with uh, our sewage. We lived just out of town so we had a septic tank and all the sewage went out this PVC pipe out through the foundation wall and then it attached to another PVC pipe that went into the septic tank outside the house. But we had a problem because the sewage wouldn't flow out there. The house is only three or four months old so it's under warranty but they had to come and tear all that landscaping up to get to it and find out that the the PVC pipe had become disconnected. It was a mess out there. And I learned a valuable lesson about what it is when your pipes get plugged up. You got a problem on the inside because the pipes are because the flow is shut off. And I can be the one that shuts off the flow. pipe outside from the house to the septic was designed to have a constant flow going through it. It was made that way, but there was a disconnect. And I can be the disconnect. I can be the plug of the conduit that God pours grace into me, but I don't let it out. And I'll tell you what, you get sick If you keep pouring things in and there's no vent, there's no way to get out. My house was sick. (laughs) My life can be sick. Your life can be sick. If you want God to keep pouring favor and grace into your life, listen to me. If you want God to keep pouring it in, you got to find a channel to let it out because you were designed to be a conduit for grace. You were designed to be a grace giver. That's why God just didn't die for you when He went to the cross, but He sent His Holy Spirit to live inside of you so that you could be an ongoing believer. God would give you the power, the creativity to show you how can I help these people? without hurting these people. What's the limits? How do I do that? Holy Spirit on the inside will show us. Amen? Amen. Grace in the kingdom. The kingdom is designed to be grace. It's not designed to be a place where the rules are kept. This isn't a courthouse. This is a house of grace, a house of prayer, a house of peace. This is where people reconnect with God. It's not that we don't honor the rules because we know God does give rules and hey, God's just. And without a Redeemer people are going to have to stand before Him and give account for having broken the rules. we got churches today that want to compromise all the rules. Uh, I'm, I'm sorry, God was very clear what the rules are in this book. Yes. But He didn't call us to go around and preach what the rules are. He's called us to be grace givers. Yeah, yeah. God is a judge, not me. Right. I don't have to be the judge to everybody's life. Right, I need to tell them about Jesus. Yes. or They're doomed whether they do the right thing or the wrong. Yeah. Whether they keep the rules or they break them. So we have got to be grace giving people. Amen. Amen. That's what the church is. Let's stand together. Now I'm wise enough to know about human life situations and I know as I talked about being a grace giver and tried to apply it to your life, I got a pretty good idea some of your, your minds were going off to somebody that's offended you. And you know it is hard, hard, hard to do something good for them because they'd turn around and stab you in the back again if they had a chance. It's hard to be a grace giver in those situations. And as God was bringing that to your mind that is probably what's plugged up in the plumbing. If you can't give it because of an offense God can't return it. So it becomes an obstacle. It becomes something that needs cleaned out. So I want to pray for people who can say, "We got a couple minutes left." I want to pray for people who can say, "You know, there's this, there's this thing that happened to me. There's this incident that occurred, and I'm having a hard time being a grace giver in that area because of what that person or that organization or somebody did. I just haven't." a hard time with it. Doesn't mean you're bad, it just means you live on life. You, you, you live in this world and you want to be victorious and having difficulty. Would you come stand at this altar because I want to pray for you. Nobody's going to ask you what it was, doesn't matter. Something in life has, has hurt you deeply. Thank you. Okay, now there's others of us out here that have had been hurt deeply and God has helped you through it. And you now can be grace givers in that offensive situation. You've learned a lesson. Could, could, could we th- those kind of people come up behind them so, so that they know they've got prayer support? Yes, thank you, thank you. Hallelujah. Precious Lord, we're going to pray right now for these that have come to this altar. Lord, it doesn't help me to know what their situation is, but God, they've already recognized it. And they've come to this altar. They want to be grace givers, but this circumstance, this situation, this incident has deeply wounded them. And Father, they want to be grace givers. They understand the principle or they wouldn't have come to the altar. But God, they're here. And Father, they're working with this offense. They're working with this hurt. They're working with what's happened here. And we're just going to pray right now in the name of Jesus that your mercy would go forth. Father, that you would help them see, see these people through Jesus' eyes. that when they look at these, these people who have offended them they would see it how Jesus sees them. Lost people headed for an eternity of judgment. And God, we pray that you're going to help each of them, Father, to know what to do, to know how to visibly show that they're a grace giver in that situation. Father, forgive that offense. Forgive them for for harboring resentment Father forgive them, release it. And Lord I know some of them someone's hurt them and the residual effects are still in their lives and Father I pray that you're going to help them see beyond that see into the heavenlies. So we pray right now the Satan's hand is bound. He has no power, no authority in their life he cannot deceive them, yes. he cannot hold them back. Yes. The, Grace has been given. Grace has been given and the account is settled. It is erased. The delete button has been pushed and all those offenses are in the past. We give it to you, Lord. We expect you to do great and mighty things because you are an amazing God. Father, help us to serve you and honor you. We pray in Jesus' name. Everybody said? Amen. 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 God is good. Look for opportunities to be a grace giver. God will set you up with them. Go with God. He loves you.